Hello there, and welcome to episode 9 of the All For Us podcast. So, tonight, before I get into it, I wanted to just do a little breath prompt. And I think it's it's good to do it at the start of the podcast episode, because it means that we'll all do it together. And, you know, it kind of resets our nervous system, gets us into a state of relax, before we listen to the information that I'm going to put out there. So... What we'll do is we'll do five seconds in, a five seconds hold, five seconds out, and then a five seconds hold on the way out. Okay, right, so. Okay, we'll do another. One more. Awesome. See, I already feel totally relaxed now. I just feel great. I feel like I've reset my nervous system. And I feel, you know, sometimes when I come on these podcasts when I'm about to talk, I feel a bit nervous and a little bit anxious. But now I just feel totally at ease. So I hope you do too. And yeah, for those who joined in, thank you. And I hope you uh, can see the benefit of it and try and integrate it into your life in some way. If you're interested, listen to my breathwork episode. Uh, That method we've just done is called box breathing. And it's the one non-negotiable that I've got in my life that I do every morning when I get up. And it just totally resets your nervous system and puts you into a state of calm. So yeah, (laughs) right, let's get on with today's episode. So I wanted to talk about tools in order to help understand yourself and others. Um, Now, I think often society can give us a template that puts an awful lot of expectations on people and we can often find ourselves feeling a little bit out of sync and a little bit sort of as though we're choosing acceptance instead of honesty. So I'll shed a, bit, a little bit of light on that as to what I'm talking about. I mean, I remember when I was younger and I always felt like I had to be a manly man. You know, I felt like I had to be an alpha male, masculine man, strong, you know, the typical so-called manly traits. And I didn't realise that by doing that, I was suppressing... if not more of the other energy within me which is the feminine Um, you know we've all got in fact not only humans but most things on the planet have got an element of masculinity and an element of of femininity within them and it's an energy so you know if you think of it as though it's not just manliness and and sort of like a woman type of thing it's it's an energy that arises within everything in life so, you know, a lot of people get them taken out of context and think, oh, you know, a man should be masculine and a woman should be feminine. And that might be right in the essence, but the energy itself was actually called alpha, which is the masculine, and omega, which is the feminine. And I think if we used it as alpha omega, that takes away the uh, the connotations around man and woman, and it just 
strips it back to its purest form of energy, which is alpha and omega. Um, you know, so without getting too woo-woo on this, it was come a bit of a buzzword within my podcasts, like everything is literally energy when you drill down to its purest form. So when you're expressing yourself in life, you are expressing an energetic field. So let's look at the masculine for one moment. The masculine, you know, probably all be able to get a list and, and write things down here because it's you know it's quite easy. But the masculine typically is strength, power, force, stoic, factual, very literal, methodical, the engineer's mind, if you look at it like that, very physical, go-getter, productive, motivation, like you know, very much about doing, okay? You're going out and you're getting it. Now, if you think for one moment of the workplace, you know, the office environment, the factory, the, you know, wherever you work, we're all in our masculine energy field within the workplace. We're all doing tasks, achieving things, goal setting, doing, productive, you know, engineer mindset methodical literal factual we we are all in our masculine energy field in the in the working environment and that's fine you know it lends itself to the working environment lends itself to productivity and getting things done you know doing as i said earlier masculine is doing now if we live our lives like that and we come home from work and we're staying in our masculine we're suppressing a, a big part of us you know, we are, eh? We're suppressing a big part of us, which is the feminine. If you think of the feminine, which is pretty much exactly the opposite of the of the masculine. So the masculine is doing, the feminine is being. So the feminine is very, it's more sensitive, creative, flow, um, not always literal, very sort of intuitive. And, you know, think of your emotional body rather than your physical body. Um, it's very feeling based as opposed to, you know, obviously the strength based and the, and the sort of literal side of the, which is the masculine. And, you know, it's very flowing like water as opposed to raging like fire. And that's, you know, to, to bring it back to the energy. So we've all got that within us and we shouldn't suppress it. So I grew up, you know, sort of a big part of my life suppressing my feminine side. And I believed that if I was feminine, like it was almost, you know, I'd be frowned upon or, you know, a manly man shouldn't be feminine. But I recognise that within myself, I might have a masculine essence. So I do enjoy the masculine side, doing things, progressing and, and strength. And I do enjoy that. But my emotional body is very feminine. I, I'm very sort of creative and... You know, I find peace in, in just sort of surrendering to the flaws of life and, you know, tapping into that creative body and, you know, allowing sensitivity to be embraced and feeling things and not suppressing them. And, and I think that's where we need to get that balance of the masculine and the feminine and recognise what we feel comfortable with. You know, not just fitting the mould of society because, you know, a man should be masculine or a, a woman should be feminine. Like, yeah, it's okay for a woman to be masculine. She, You know, she goes out there and she achieves success in the workplace and goes up the career ladder and, 
he's very independent and achieves goals. That's the masculine, you know. It's a woman who's in a masculine energy field, which is great and fine and, you know, no problem at all. But then, you know, later on at night when she comes home or, you know, on another period, she, she basically surrenders to the feminine and respects that and understand that it's about harnessing both within the man and the woman. And, you know, a lot, a lot of the reasons why this is important is understanding how the masculine and feminine interact with each other. So if you imagine, if you've got, you know, a couple that live together, they're going off to work all day, they're very much both in their masculine energy fields, doing, doing, doing all day, productivity, productivity, and then they come home at night and they can't get out of that masculinity mode, so they're just very much, you know, clashing and they can't understand why they're not getting this almost this spark, this chemistry back in their lives. And it's because they need to create balance. And so what happens is, and this is sort of like, it's quite spiritual sort of to understand this and sort of quite woo-woo. And a lot of people might, you know, might not be too open to, to discussion things like this, which is fine, you know, it's totally fine. But I'm telling you my sort of, um, my opinions and my sort of um, understanding of it. The way that attraction works, and, and what we're talking about here is like a sexual attraction uh, within relationships, it needs a polarity, so it needs opposites within sort of the sexual dynamic. So if you think of the masculine, it needs a feminine to feel an attraction, to feel that like dynamic sort of spark within a relationship. So it doesn't have to be the man in the masculine, it doesn't have to be the woman in the feminine, but as long as you've got polarity, and an awareness of that, you can get one of them who is staying in the masculine and the other one is surrendering to the feminine to create that charge, you know, that ultimate attraction of charge, which, which makes a lot of sense when, when you read into it. So, you know, creating that polarity within your relationships of the masculine and the feminine, just having that awareness alone can create so much more sort of, you know, spark magic passion call it what you want in your relationships and i think that having that is a great tool to um to help your you know your sexual sort of relationship within within your partnership you know whatever you want to call it um but yeah and another side of that is if you look at so that's the sexual attraction attraction works on polarity on opposites yeah now intimacy works on vulnerability and sameness so we you can have intimacy both operating in the same energy field so you can have a masculine and a masculine or a feminine and a feminine both relating together being vulnerable and almost having that like we're in this together we're same we're the same so intimacy works on sameness sexual attraction works on polarity so you know you can take intimacy in its very nature it is two people who are you know, communicating in a way and relating to each other empathetically, em empathetically, and you know, almost being like, yeah, oh, I feel that as well. You know, I'm the, I'm the same as that. I'm vulnerable in that way as well. Like, and having that recognition that we're in this together. You know, that is literally intimacy one oh one. Like, understanding that we're all in this together, and I feel the same as you. <laughs> like, let's embrace our vulnerability together. That is literally intimacy. 
whereas attraction sexual attraction works the opposite way and you know it's it's great getting that understanding of it when you drill everything down to just energy and yeah it, it is just a, a very very fascinating subject that i would urge people to you know get some awareness of because it, it is it does make a big difference it really does um, but yeah, generally in your day-to-day life, just have an awareness of balance, okay? It's all about the balance. Don't stay in your masculine, don't stay in your feminine. Have an awareness of, of when you feel the urge to be in your masculine and when you feel the urge to surrender and be in your feminine and, you know, just have that almost that sensitivity to just allow that and don't think it's wrong to do that, you know? Don't think it's wrong to be in you know, a way of being that society sort of maybe sort of drains out of you, you know, you look at men, they feel as though they have to be strong all the time, they feel as though they have to be, you know, powerful, these big presence of a man, like that is not how he has to be, we can be in touch with our emotions, we can display feminine qualities, you know, we can dance, we can, you know, shake our hips, we can sing, we can chant, you know, we can hum, we can meditate, and it's fine, it is totally fine, and I think respecting that, you know, you go a long way to sort of understanding yourself, and how you feel at peace within yourself, and to be honest, any relationship that you're with, obviously, if somebody's forcing you to be in a certain role, masculine or too often, then they really, you know, like, you've got a question, like, what type of person do you want to be with who is ultimately expecting you to be this manly man and isn't open to you being sensitive as well? Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, you often hear of, like, stories where, like, the partner will, like, ridicule them for being, like, feminine or displaying some emotions or maybe like opening up or something like that shouldn't be that is not a good thing that is not a good thing we should embrace balance within the feminine and the masculine within relationships um you know from both sides from men and women you know so if you've got a man you shouldn't like sort of banish you you know you shouldn't ridicule the woman if she's in a masculine there's nothing wrong with that it's perfectly fine um so yeah, <laughs> all about the balance, the masculine, feminine, really good sort of to get a, a level of understanding on it. Um, but yeah, touching on from that, I wanted to give a little bit of um, structure in terms of the archetypes. So Carl Jung, um, he talks about the archetypes of living your life essentially. And the first he talks about a man's life, this is how he talks about it, but in a woman's life, there is very, very similar archetypes, and in fact, when I mention them now, and all the attributes of them, I'm sure you'll be able to relate, and I'm sure you'll be able to think of, you know, the similarities in a woman's life, in the phases that she reaches, and, you know, just sort of understanding it. So, this helped me a lot in terms of having a bit of a structure, you know, and having a bit of a a recognition as to the journey that I've been on and yeah like something to kind of aim towards as well which is good so th- what they say is this the first archetype that somebody encounters in their life 
is the archetype of the warrior. So the warrior is essentially, you know, when you're learning to craft your trade, you're learning to get your body in order, pick up good habits, you know, goal setting, put your career in place. Um, you're all about like the physical and, and sort of creating them habits to get a good body. And, you know, you're essentially like, just learning what it is to progress in things and you know you're very much more about the physical things in life like like I said earlier very much the masculine you are achieving things and very much about that go-getter attitude almost a little bit selfish really and I suppose the selfish side could be the negative side of the warrior you can often take it too far you maybe dip too far into the ego and you become a bit selfish. And a lot of people stay in warrior too long. And they take it to the nth degree. End up becoming a little bit narcissistical. A little bit selfish. It becomes too much about their body. Too much about their goals. Too much about their career. Too much about possessions. And the warrior is, you know, it can turn toxic if you stay there too long. So it's about harnessing the good side of the warrior. You know, understanding that you want to be goal setting. Achieve things. Have motivation and drive. But don't take it too far. Now, the second archetype that we enter in, in, in life, that hopefully people enter, if you don't stay in warrior forever, <laughs> um, is the magician. Now, the magician is essentially when you realise that it's not all about the physical, you know, it isn't all about the body, it's about the mind. It's about understanding that there is woo-woo things in life and they do make sense. You know, the power of belief, the power of, you know, your thoughts and the placebo and how powerful it is in terms of, you know, your, your thoughts can make you sick, and it's about understanding that. It's not all about being the practicalities of that engineer mind, it's about having that intuitive side of you as well. And the magician is very much about, like, you know, you're getting into meditation, you're getting into a little bit of kind of spirituality, you're sort of maybe harnessing into more of your feminine side as well, in that being side instead of just doing. And, you know, the magician is, is very much a stage that people reach often through suffering, you know, they've maybe reached a point where they're a little bit sort of suffering with the mental health, a little bit of anxiety, causes them to kind of look a bit further afield and sort of read books and things and, and understand that there's more to life than just the physical body. There is energy fields, there is, you know, your subconscious, like what's below the surface and not just what you're living out through autopilot. Like the, the magician is where you actually dig deeper below the surface and you know, brilliant, like a lot of people are in magician and stay there for a long time because it's just, there's all sorts to explore there. Um, the next archetype is the lover and the lover is essentially when you realise that, you know, it's all about the relationships in life and how we connect to people, whether our, our, you know, our lover, our family, our children, you know, our children, our colleagues and essentially it's what you do to, your, to others, you ultimately do to yourself and it's all about harnessing like that having an open heart, um, you know, being kind, loving, non-judgmental and, you know, don't hold any grudges, don't seek revenge, just forgive people even though, you know, they do bad to us, you know, it's about treating people how you want to be treated, you know, not treating people how they treat you because ultimately hurt people hurt people uh, and, and I for an eye would just leave everyone blind as I said in the last podcast. So the, the lover is essentially just operating through love all the time, have loving awareness and, you know, 
Try and learn how to connect to people authentically. Be a good listener. You know, be compassionate. Um, you know, and the lover is, is essentially about harnessing your relationships and connection. You know, a brilliant stage to get to. And, you know, again, just about this structure, isn't it? It's about having that structure of seeing a path. I think we all like, as humans, a path, don't we, to follow and, and see, like, some kind of map. And I think these archetypes kind of give you that. And the last one is the, was called the good king. Now, the good king is essentially when you embody all of the good qualities of each, but you've banished all of the toxic, all the toxic sides of each. So, you know, you stay in any of them too long, you can become toxic, can't you? Like anything, like anything that you stay in too long, ultimately, you, you know, you take too far and you become toxic side of it, don't you? Um, so, yeah, you harness all the good qualities of each. The good king is essentially somebody with good morals who embodies good morals of integrity. And he's a leader, but he doesn't lead through force. He leads through example by living the life and just leading by example. So he leads very much from behind instead of leading from the front. And essentially, this is somebody who has just got their life in order, who can just be that person. He doesn't have to preach. He doesn't have to shout it from the rooftops because essentially he's just a living example through his actions. And, you know, the good king is essentially somebody to aspire to to be, really. You know, you've got your relationships in order, you've got your career in order, you've got your mindset in order, your body in order. And you are literally just being the good king. Um, you know, so I say, as, as I say, these archetypes, the warrior, magician, the lover and the good king, you can research the, the equivalent in, in terms of the, the woman's side of it, because there, there is some as well. You know, I believe that, you know, the, the warrior princess, I think there was one called, and, the, you know, the queen and the, the, you know, various other ones that are called. Similar, very, very similar sort of um, attributes and things. But I guess they've got nuances, you know, in, in terms of the woman as well. So, you know, if you're interested in any of this, look it up in terms of the Carl Jung archetypes. Yeah, so I just thought it was fascinating. that I've really enjoyed sort of uh, understanding them and, and sort of trying to uh, focus and embody some of the qualities on them all. Um, so, yeah, let's have a look. I'll just make a look, look on my notes because I know I'm just rambling on and getting through these. Um, yeah, so I wanted to branch off and, again, you know, this podcast's about understanding yourself and others. So I wanted to touch on, I wanted to touch on attachment styles. So our attachment styles are essentially the way in which we attach to our partners in our relationships. And they are often traced back to how we attach to our parents. So... Essentially, there's three attachment styles. There's the anxious, there's the avoidant, and there's the secure. Now, we're all aiming to get to a secure attachment style, which basically means we are, you know, we feel content, we feel at peace when we are with them or, or when we are apart from them. So, I'll tell you how it basically is formed. So, depending on how you attach to your parents when you were a kid, normally maps on to how you attach to a partner into you know in your adult life so they've done a, a study where they would have a parent and he would leave the child in a room and just walk out of the room and the child would be with other children and you know whatnot and maybe in a nursery setting but the, the parent would leave them now if the child becomes really agitated when the parent leaves and then 
when the parent comes back in 10 or 15 minutes or so, the, the, the child is really soothed right away, then essentially you are secure. You are an, you were not just anxious when, when the parent left, but you are secure when they come back. So you're basically reassured fairly quickly in terms of the parent leaving and then coming back. So that's secure. That is healthy and, and good. Now, if the parent leaves you in the room and you are really anxious when they leave and really sort of scared, and then when, when the parents come back, you are still really shook up and really sort of unatease, then essentially you're an anxious attachment style, which basically means that transpires to be you are quite needy, you are quite obsessive with how you attach to somebody, you are quite like, you know, you're overthinking things, you think that you don't deserve love, you maybe think that like, you know, oh, what am I doing with this person? You've maybe got a little bit of kind of like, um, you know, where you don't feel good enough and you're overthinking things. Uh, and when they don't text for a couple of hours, you're maybe a bit nervous and, and think, oh, they're going to leave us. You know, you're quite an overthinker, quite an anxious attachment style, that is. Um, so, yeah, you can probably sort of fill in the gaps as, you know, because I'm not obviously going to go to the nth degree describing it all, but anxious attached is, is very much like a needy person and you need constant reassurance. And it sort of maps into what you were like when you were a child. Now, the avoidant is somebody who, you know, the child's left in the room. Again, going back to the example, the child's left in the room and the child's just not bothered. You know, they're just like, oh, has my mum my even gone? You know, they're just not bothered, they're just kind of despondent. And then the parent comes back 20 minutes later or so and they're just not asked and they're not bothered. It's, it's just like no effect on them. So it doesn't bother you whether you're here or you're, or you're there. So it's kind of like they're avoidant. So it's kind of so that would transpire in their adult life as though maybe a bit distant, sort of like you know, not really intimate, not really close, maybe emotionally unavailable even. And you know, it's maybe hard to kind of like get any form of connection with. And you know, if somebody's maybe trying to get close to you, you maybe run a mile because you maybe think, well, you know, I don't want anyone getting close to us. So, you know, it's just good to have an understanding of your attachment style. And you know, these things aren't fixed either. If you've got an awareness of it, you can be like, all right, you know, maybe I'm a bit anxious here. Maybe I'm a bit needy. And just sort of self-soothe yourself and self-regulate and have that awareness. So having the awareness of your attachment style can massively go a long way in terms of, you know, understanding that it's just linked from your parents and doesn't have to be set in stone and you can be like well no you know that's just from how my parents were with me or whatever or how it how it was it doesn't have to always be that case I can I can change it and I can put things in place speak to my partner about it you know because communication is key I can have a crack with my partner and say look you know I'm maybe a bit anxious you know maybe links into what I was like with my parents you know let's just talk about this let's just you know, maybe just try and have a little bit of sort of tactic to come up with soothing mechanisms. Um, you know, because it, it, as I say, everything's communication. Everything's about understanding yourself and your, and your traits and your, uh, you know, your default sort of behaviours, really. Because that's what you'd probably say they are, your default behaviours. Um, you know, and, and just, as you say, you could be avoidant and you could maybe get a tendency to run a mile if somebody's trying to get close to you, but having that awareness and speaking to somebody and saying, look, you know, when you're trying to give us a hug there, I'm feeling a bit uneasy, you know, I'm, 
I'm feeling like I want to get up and run a mile, but it's just because what I was like when I was a kid. But I want to get better at it. You know, I want to get more cuddly with you or I want to feel intimate with you. But my inner reaction is to run a mile. So, yeah, just conversations, you know. As I say, attachment style, worth looking up at. And there's a book called Attached, which is brilliant, which I've read and highly recommend. Next one is... Love languages. Now, love languages is another great way of understanding yourself and others. So, there are five recognised love languages. And these are how we express and receive love. So, we can either do it through gifts, which basically means we buy people gifts or receive gifts to feel love. We praise people with words or affirmations. So, we prefer to wisely receive words of praise or give words of praise to receive or give love. Next one is time together, so quality time. You know, do we feel loved by spending quality time or give quality time? Physical touch, so cuddly, very tactile person, or acts of service, like doing things, like washing the dishes for somebody or, you know, going out and doing something for them, buying them things, like, you know, physically doing something for them, expressing your love that way. So you could have two people in a relationship and they both operate on different love languages. So it's a common thing I've heard people talk before where... The guy's being like, well, I don't know what's going on. Like, you know, I'm buying her all these gifts. I'm taking her out for nice meals. I'm getting her the flowers. And it's just, it's not having any effect. And that's likely because your partner's love language is maybe just, you know, spending quality time together. Or, you know, a cuddle or a touch or, you know, a little bit of intimacy. Like, she might not want all the flash acts of service or the act or the gifts or the... Do you know what I mean? So it's understanding how you were loved when you were a child or how you, you know, because it can often, to be fair with this one, it can often be the opposite. So, you know, for example, you know, maybe I'll be with me, like I might have been gifted lots of things by my parents growing up and, and given everything, like all gifted things. Whereas for now, that is totally the opposite to what I am. Like I prefer time, quality time, like intimate touch and gifts to me don't mean anything really. Like, I can appreciate them, and if someone's done it from a kind place, then I'll always appreciate it. But to me, time together and presence, like actual physical being there, presence and touch is the best thing in the world for me, and I feel really loved when I get that. So, yeah, understand your love language, relate it to your partner, discuss back and forth, like, to understand each other, like, just so important, it really is. Um... Yeah, I'm getting through it now, so I'm just I'm not going to stay too much longer. Um, I'm aware that obviously this is a longer episode, but quite a lot to get through. Um, there's a website called 16personalities.com. Absolutely fundamental in terms of understanding yourself. Um, it's highly recognised as the best personality test online. Um, 16personalities.com. For those interested, I came out as what they call an advocate. Um, so yeah, not that that'll mean anything, but... You know, if you do your own, you can, you'll probably be able to piece it together. But I highly recommend it. I've sent it to everyone I know. And we've all had really good conversations relating it to each other and saying, oh, yeah, you know, that definitely is me and that's you. And great conversation. You know, it really is. And it goes into depth in terms of understanding your, you know, just your personality, basically. And who are we? Our personality is how we relate to ourselves and others, isn't it? So, you know, it's a great tool. And, yeah. I should have maybe said get a pen and paper ready for this episode, shouldn't I, to make the note of the websites and stuff. Um, but yeah, 16personalities.com, give it a go. 
Um, yeah, I think lastly, I wanted to talk about there's there's this thing I've seen on YouTube, right? And it's called Thirty Six Questions That Lead to Love. And essentially, these questions are highly recognised within you know relational psychology and such to be the questions that ultimately lead people to connect in the most deepest way. And if you watch the YouTube series, so many of these couples that have just met, asked each other these questions, have felt like a really strong connection with each other. And quite a lot of them have actually been, you know, developed into relationships and even marriage on some of them. Um, And it's just purely these questions that are just linked in terms of understanding and getting below the surface. Um, And, you know, I'm not saying this to start asking people questions and sort of, you know, try and make anyone fall in love with you. I'm not trying to say it like that. I'm, I'm more or less just saying it in terms of if you're in a relationship, you know, bring up these questions. You can find them online. 36 questions that lead to love. And go through them and build and a deeper connection with the people in your life and really learn to understand each other. Because I bet you, you know, how many relationships have just, you know, maybe don't even like really have these deep conversations and I think they are so important and to be honest I think if you just sat there watching telly and all of a sudden you come out and say you know when was the last time you cried it maybe just wouldn't lend itself to that kind of dynamic but if you're actually creating it as a bit of a almost a game where you're like I know let's let's have a list of these questions and see what you know see what we come up with it almost takes the pressure off then doesn't it and it's like right we're just following a plan here we're just following a list of questions and I think it can often lead to some really good conversations, a deeper understanding of yourselves and others. Um, so yeah, 36 questions that lead to love. Um, so yeah, have a bash at it, see what you think. But yeah, I'm aware that I am really, you know, blabbing my mouth off tonight. So I do apologise if I've just went so fast that you've probably not even took on board anything. Maybe need to rewind it and listen to bits again. But, yeah, before I end, what I'll do is I'll just take another couple of conscious breaths just to reset the nervous system after the conversation. So if you want to join in with us, we'll just do it again. Five seconds in, five seconds old, and five seconds out. One more. Thank you for listening. Until next time, stay conscious, stay true to yourself and stay loving.